Welcome to my movies better. The triple threat battle of cinema. Created by Kevin Harden and Russell Stearns. Too bad you will die. Only I can control this spell. How could you have done this? Jim! I can't believe you committed suicide. Are you Fuji Fujiyama? He's a friend of mine from school. A friend? Was the party over? Uh, well, it's just winding down. Hi. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Birthday Party. No, it's no problem. It's good to see you. Adventure. <laughs> Excitement. <laughs> Frankly, my dear, I don't give it. You can't handle the butthead. I am the father. Just stand on it, I guess. Long she can. I love the spell. Mrs. Hogwallop. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Come with me if you want to live. See what happens, Lebowski? You see what happens? You got the wrong guy. I'm the dude, man. Your name's Lebowski, Lebowski. How do I look? Bring out today! Damien Partley's up! Hey guys, this is Kevin, and welcome to a special My Movies Better bonus episode. Kind of like the end of the first uh, <clears throat> little part of this year. We're through February now and into March, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, movies that I have seen this year, as well as a few other things, just a general crap. I can talk about with you guys. So, today I'm going to start with the first part of a thing I'm going to do every couple of months where I'm going to um, go through the list of movies that I have watched this year. I watch quite a few movies uh, aside from this podcast. And uh, this is sort of like a way of keeping track of them. So, so far this year. I have gone through and I have watched 63 films, including the films uh, I've covered on the podcast. So we'll start out this list with the, uh, we'll just run through it's the top 63. Uh, I'm going to do this pretty quick though and kind of talk mainly about the ones that I really liked. So Wheels on Meals. It's a Jackie Chan film. It's one of my favorites. That was the first film I watched this year, uh, way back at the beginning of the year. Uh, it's fantastic. It's a comedy wushu movie. And uh, if you like Jackie Chan at all, you should see it. Because I think it's by far one of his best movies, if not his best movie. And definitely the best of his earlier stuff before he became an international star. I also watched My Lucky Stars, another uh, film with him and Sammo Hung and uh bao yen um but it was not as good as uh wheels on meals um it it only featured maybe about like 20 minutes of jackie chan and bao yen and the rest of the movie was like oh tragedy bad oh my. so i would give wheels on meals five stars but my lucky stars uh, only two though when i watched uh seen from it again later my lucky stars i mean i did find that like some of the comedy in the film kind of appealed to me a little bit more even though there is like a, a part where um 
a woman essentially is uh, assaulted over and over again in a comedy scene. Not like brutally or anything like that, but it's not very, it's not aged well. And uh, is kind of uncomfortable to say the least. I also watched The Five Venoms, classic um, Kung Fu Wushu movie. Uh, that's four star. Love that movie. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. My co-host Russ is also a huge fan of it. He says it's his favorite film. I give it four stars. I think it's a great kids movie, uh, but also has hasn't really aged that great in certain parts. Um, then we had the three movies that we were going to do for an episode that's kind of been shelved, and that was Dreams and Madness 2. Um, the original episode 15, I think it was. So for that, we were uh, going to watch, and I did watch, Persona, uh, directed by Ingmar Bergman, Paper House, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So I'll give you some brief thoughts on those. Persona was a film I chose. Uh, it's an amazing, classic, beautiful puzzle of a film. I think it is Bergman's best movie. And uh, it's that's the reason why I chose it. It's another one of those films that I've said before is like one of the reasons why I want to start this podcast in the first place. Uh, because it's it's one of those films I could talk about. I could make a whole stupid podcast just on that film. I bet. Paper House. Uh, so Persona, I gave five stars. Paper House, I enjoyed, but I, I honestly didn't think was it wasn't that memorable to me i gave it a three star um it did a lot of great stuff it had a very interesting set but it was a movie that i think was held back by its lack of budget so like it was it was good for what they had but it really was a kind of devoid of an emotional center and of a clear through line and I think that was my biggest two biggest problems about it. Uh, uh, I mean, it's a kids movie, sort of, or a young young adult movie, so that's kind of by the wayside. But I, I just didn't think it was that great, and that was Russell's pick. Um, no offense, obviously, to him, because uh, it definitely fell into the category of dreams and madness, and and definitely had a really cool uh theme to it with like this girl drawing a house and then the house is coming to life and uh changes she makes to it uh are reflected in the real in the real quote-unquote house it just kind of felt like it didn't make a lot of sense and the lack of explanation i think hurt the film um and there are some parts that i kind of laughed at when i wasn't supposed to eternal sunshine of the spotless mind that's a weird one too. I will give it four stars because I think it's a very well done movie. Um, but it's also a movie that always kind of makes me angry for a couple different reasons. But mainly, it's the, I just always kind of felt personally that the ending uh, should have happened differently, pretty much opposite how it happened with uh, the two main characters not sticking together. But that's just me. Um, so yeah my pick would have been my pick if we had done that episode but we didn't get to it so instead i watched super mario brothers which i gave five stars i love that movie i think that it, it's a movie that a lot of people talk shit about and yes it is very bad so i'm not going to try to sit here and tell you it's good by any means because it's not it's a piece of shit 
Um, however, there are some weird things about it that are like that, like kind of make it great, and not in a the piece of shit room the room style way, but more in a like train wreck sort of way. And that's way more interesting to watch when it's a gigantic studio and not a, you know, small budget type movie like in the case of The Room or other bad movies. So I'm all, I've always been sort of partial to the films that are like a gigantic blockbuster flops like this. I also just in general really like how it's like Mario meets Blade Runner. Or something like that. Uh, Double Down, a Neil Breen film. Uh, we cover that in an episode, so you can go check that out that episode with my buddies from WickedLate.net. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I also give that five five stars. I love Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. If you know me, you know that. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, that's why I don't like Wayne's World or what didn't. I mean, I got kind of over that. I also sort of love Wayne's World. But Bill and Ted was like one of my favorite films growing up. Um, and sorry, my dog is like fucking around with the door, so I'm distracted. Um, yeah, it was one of my favorite, one of my favorite films growing up. Uh, watched it millions of times. George Carlin was one of my favorite comedians, kind of because of that movie. Um, so we'll just move on to the next one, which was Samurai Cop. Again, covered in our second episode of Wonderfully Awful. Following that, I watched Annihilation. And now this is a weird one because I actually uh, kind of didn't watch Annihilation. Weirdly enough, I started watching it and it immediately like pissed me off and bored me I don't even know if it was pissed me off I guess that's kind of an unfair way of putting it it just bored the fuck out of me I just didn't care from like the first two scenes and I don't mean that in like a I'm not trying to be like an asshole about it if you like the movie it's just I shut the movie off and watched something else instead and I still haven't gone back so I would say in that case it's kind of like at this point it's a one star but that's not really fair either because I only watched literally five minutes of the movie before I shut it off. Uh, following that, watched uh, three movies in our, um, I don't remember what number episode it was, uh, but Jurassic Park, Jack Frost, and Troll 2. So you can check out that episode, but uh, for the most part, it was Troll 2 and Jurassic Park to me were five stars, and Jack Frost was more like two or three. Um, and that's only based on how funny it was, uh, and basically nothing else. Though I do recommend watching it if you haven't seen it. You might get a kick out of it. And then we had our video game episode with Street Fighter, Legend of Chun-Li, which I give two stars. Warcraft, three stars. Silent Hill, three stars. And Mortal Kombat, which I give four and three ninths stars. I don't know what that means, but I guess it's like not quite five, but it's almost... After that, I watched Fist of the North Star, the animated conclusion movie, which is one of my favorites. I give that about four stars. Uh, if you haven't ever seen Fist of the North Star um, and you like animes like Dragon Ball Z uh, or JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, you might want to check out Fist of the North Star. Uh, it might be right up your alley. I also, around that time, watched Street Fighter II, the anime which is a pretty good movie. It's definitely uh, the best 
Street Fighter movie. Um, way better than Street Fighter starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, though I do love that movie as well. And way better than Street Fighter The Legend of Chun-Li. So if you want to see a good Street Fighter movie, if you're really into Street Fighter's lore for some reason, I would check out Street Fighter 2 the anime. But likely, if you're that into it, you already have. Uh, after that, I watched two documentaries back-to-back. One of them, one of my favorites of all time, which I hope to cover soon in an episode about documentaries, uh, King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, which is about the legendary man and hero of mine, Steve Wiebe's attempt to break the horrible traitor Billy Mitchell's Donkey Kong uh, high score. And uh, hopefully soon we're going to be able to take a trip with some uh, friends and listeners up to the Fun Spot Arcade in uh, New Hampshire, north of where I live. And that's where not only part of that movie takes place, but uh, where still resides the fabled Donkey Kong machine from the movie, which I'd like to play. And I'm a big Donkey Kong fan, so... Uh, yeah, so we hope to do that in the future. The other film I watched was called Perfect Bid, and it's a film about this guy who, um... It seemed like it was, like, a film where a guy was on, like, an episode of, uh... The Price is Right, and he started to, like, kind of become, like, a weird stalker of the show. Uh, and he also memorized a bunch of prices... Um, until he eventually got banned after Bob Barker left the show. But uh, I only know that from reading the description of it because I didn't actually finish the movie. It just pissed me off. Um, I watched probably like three-fourths of it and uh, never had gotten to the part where he got banned from the show. And basically the whole thing was this like ego-tripping, really like self- uh, whatever they call it, jacking yourself off, self-masturbating. Hmm, that sounds weird. It's just jacking himself off the whole time. Uh, and it, it was just like, he was, it was almost like I kept watching because the guy was, it was enthralling to watch him be so demonstrative and so into himself and so, like, unable to see the real world around him. Um... But after a while, it just got to be embarrassing, so I stopped watching. So I gave that one one star. I don't recommend it. Then we had our party episode, so 24-hour party people go, and this is the end. Um, And then I watched uh, the remake of a film that I really enjoyed from a year or two ago, Miss Bala. Um, I'll give that about three stars. It was... It kind of missed the whole message of the original Miss Bala, which was sort of a more anti-violence anti-Mexican, specifically cartel violence sort of thing. And this movie was kind of more of like, let's shoot people um, and girl power. But it, it, it always sort of feels like in movies like this that the character isn't so much of a woman, but a man with boobs and a gun. And uh, I don't know why guys think that that's the way to write a woman, but it's not. So Miss Bala, though, for the most part, it was a pretty good movie. Like, I had fun watching it. So I wouldn't say, don't go see it. Like, the next movie, Welcome to Morrowind, uh, which I went out to see because I had specifically heard that it was a good, bad, bad, good, whatever you want to call it, movie. Uh, I disagree with that. Um, there were some parts that were kind of funny. Whenever the dolls in the movie, which there's, like, CGI dolls, if you haven't seen the commercials or the trailer for it or read about it, um... They're pretty hilarious because of how bad they are. But other than that, 
uh, just not a good movie and not enjoyable. And I stayed because I paid so much money for it and really wished that I hadn't. And just waited for it. And just waited for uh, the my ability to be able to see it for free. Uh, and then to keep the streak alive, I also watched Gotti. Um, oh, and before I get into that, let me just also mention about Welcome to Marwin. There is a documentary about the guy that the movie is based on. Um, and I suggest watching that instead of Welcome to Marwin because it's much better. And so, yes, as I said, I watched Gaudi. Uh, is terrible. I give it zero stars. Just don't watch it. I'm not even going to say much more about it. It's just really bad. After that, we had our 18th episode movie, The Room. Obviously, if you've heard that or know anything about me, you know, I think The Room is one of the best films ever made. Um, or maybe that's not tr- the right way of putting it. It's one of the best films to watch. Uh, five stars. Go check it out. After that, I watched at... Um, at uh, the behest, I guess you could say. I don't even know if that's the right word. The recommendation of my friend, uh, Mr. Vero, as I'm going to call him, Alvaro, Alvaro. I don't remember how to say his name, but I love you. You know I do, bro. Nope face, or not nope face, actually. He told me to watch this movie, Dark City. See, this is what happens when you have friends only on the internet. You can't remember how to really say their names because they live like in Philadelphia or some shit. Um, anyway, Dark City, uh, loved it. Really, really interesting movie. Right up my alley. Um, five stars. It was fun. It was interesting. And most of all, it was like really aesthetically pleasing film. Um, if you've never seen it, then I highly recommend go check out Dark City. It's fucking cool. And it was definitely the type of movie that... Like, you recommend it, and you know me well, I guess. (laughs) Better than I thought you did. Uh, Anyway, after that, I watched Young Rebels, which is filmed by the same director as Samurai Cop. And I would say that even though it stars um, Aldo Ray, who is also in a movie I'm going to be talking about a little later, The Green Berets, uh with John Wayne it, that's about the coolest thing about it um, other than that it's definitely not as good as Killing American Style or obviously Samurai Cop so if you're really into that guy's movies you might want to check it out but it's like only okay uh, Killing American Style was the next film I watched after that and that is a movie that I really enjoyed it stars one of our the same actors who is in another movie I love Hard Ticket to Hawaii which I hope to cover soon. Um, and as well as the guy who was in Samurai Cop, who was the like sort of weird, uh, fruity, gay guy type character in the bar who was only in one scene. Um, and he plays, a, and I think as I mentioned in that episode, he plays a Japanese doctor in this movie, which is weird because he's like Guatemalan. Um, after that, I watched Robo Vampire 3 Counter Destroyer. Which is a weird ass movie that was like sort of a Robocop ripoff, but it was also like a Wushu movie, but it was also like a vampire zombie movie, as you could probably tell from part of the title. I guess there's nothing about zombies in it, but it's a zombie thing too. And uh, actually, the cover of the movie, 
uh, actually has just a picture of RoboCop fighting these like Asian vampire zombie guys. I give it three stars. After that, I watched Tiger Joe, which wasn't very good, and I don't really remember much about it. Um, originally, I had picked it for the Reb Brown episode, and I'm glad that I didn't because I thought I had seen it before, and I was actually thinking of a different movie, which was the movie that I picked for that, Robo War. Um, and, of course, that was covered in the Reb Brown Rebuary episode, uh, episode 19, I believe that was, where we also watched You Are the Hunter from the Future. Uh, all three of those movies I give, like, a solid three and a half stars. I also watched Indio, which I would also give three and a half stars. Uh, it was another one by the director of Your the Hunter from the Future. It was um, about just about the same as Yor, but not as interesting. So uh, Yor would be the movie I would suggest watching first. But Indio was fun, and it was like a cool 80s action style movie, so that was cool. After that, I watched uh, Showdown in Little Tokyo. And um, I didn't like it all that much, is the best thing I can say about it. I'm um, a big fan of Dolph Lundgren, and uh, this one was not a good movie. So I'm going to give it a two-star. Um, it wasn't what I expected, especially with the title being connected, connecting it sort of to Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, nah, nah, just nah. After that, I watched Gunhead, which was uh, a suggestion from my buddy Zedekiah, and he wanted us to watch it way back in, I don't remember what movie it was, what theme, it, sorry, it was, um, but he suggested it, so I found a copy of it and watched it, and it's super fucking cool. Uh, I couldn't find a Japanese copy, I did find a dub VHS version, and it was pretty good. Um, it's like everything I love about eight, eight, late 80s, early 90s Japanese uh, anime and otaku and uh, tokusatsu type stuff. Um, it's got cool robots. It's got, it feels like it's like a live action Ghost in the Shell Evangelion style thing going on. I don't know. It's It was awesome. I loved it. I give it five fucking stars. Um... And I suggest you go check it out. I found it on the internet for free in like one search. So I bet you could too, tough guy. Um, my phone just died. So I'm going to have to pause this. But it for you listeners, you won't even notice that. After that, I watched East LA Warriors, which was sort of fun. I thought it was going to be about wrestling at first. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, that's not funny here. Everybody is super serious in the danger zone. One must only think of uh, the glory of victory. Yeah, for macho madness in the danger zone. Elizabeth, we're entering the danger zone right now. Together, we're walking down that aisle. It's cool. Yeah, the time is down, means in Oakland. Macho madness into the danger zone. Yeah. And then it wasn't. It was about, like, kickboxing, sort of. It wasn't, like, super fights, which was awesome fucking kick-ass movie which i watched like right at the end of last year but it was like still pretty good after that i watched blade runner 2049 and blade runner which you can check out in that episode which was episode something i don't remember which one 19 i think actually not like the last one that i said was 19 
Anyway, after that, I also I watched episode twenties, movies of terror in Beverly Hills and Street Trash, and I also watched RoboCop, which is another one of my like all time, all time favorite movies. It's a blazing satire on policing, but also and probably bigger than that, corporate mindset and uh, really eighties corporate culture. The character, I always forget his name, but the guy who created RoboCop, Miguel Ferrer, plays him. Uh, The guy who created the RoboCop monster, he's fantastic, and he's such a perfect 80s jerk. Um, So, yeah, I give RoboCop, obviously, five stars. Untouchable, untouchable film. One of my favorites of all time. So, watched around the same time, Total Recall and Jaws. So, I was like watching lots of really good movies i guess right then because those are all all i mean what else i'm not gonna really say a whole bunch of stuff about those man they're they're fantastic movies we total recall is another one that i think is maybe maybe not as held in in such high regard i think it's probably schwarzenegger's best film um and it's one of my favorites just because it's such a weird different sort of film it's a not has a non linear not even non, <laughs> has a non uh tip in in has an atypical sort of ending and uh I, I don't know if you've spoiler alert if you've ever um listened to the commentary paul verhoven basically says that the whole movie is a dream and none of this happened uh, at the end of the commentary. So <laughs> I guess that is, I guess that's canon. I don't know. But I love it. Total Recall. Highly recommend if I just ruined it for you. Sorry, but you should have already seen it. I also watched uh, in around the same time, in around the same time of, I watched Robo War and Yor. I also watched Strike Commando and Shocking Dark. Strike Commando is a straight up ripoff of Rambo. Uh, First Blood Part 2, the Vietnam movie, not the original movie, which is a really good movie. And I kind of think First Blood Part 2 is a piece of shit movie, personally. But anyway, and Shocking Dark, which is a ripoff of Aliens, Aliens, Alien 2, uh, but was marketed as a ripoff of Terminator 2. These are both Italian movies braided by Bruno Mattei, and they're fucking fantastic. Uh, as we said in the RoboWar episode, uh, as much as RoboWar is a straight-up ripoff of Predator, both these movies are touching, uh, heartfelt ripoffs of the source material. So I recommend both of them. And in following the Bruno Mattei thing, I also watched a one of his Nazi exploitation movies. I don't really know why. I just found it and was like, oh, I'll check this out. And it actually was kind of an interesting, weird trip of a movie to watch it's called ss girls um it's kind of a softcore porn without like the actual porn but it's really weird it was a really strange movie but uh you can find it on YouTube if you look for it um it's definitely i mean it's nazi exploitation so i guess it's definitely like pro-nazi but it's not really like propaganda for nazis it's weird you kind of have to watch it to really make sense of of what it is, but it's it's also not great in general. So if you're gonna watch Bruno Mattei movie, I would suggest watching Shocking Dark because that's really good, or uh, Robo War because that's also really good. 
Around that time, I also attempted again for like the fifth time to watch RoboCop 2, which I've only like made it through that movie like twice. Um, and same thing with RoboCop 3. I have a lot of trouble watching either of those movies. So I give both of them about a two star. Um, and they're just, they t RoboCop 2 totally misses like everything, the whole point of RoboCop. And it's really sad. Whereas in RoboCop, you had this really interesting satire with comments on American society. RoboCop 2 comes in and it's basically Back to the Future 2. Uh, but at least Back to the Future, in talking about those films in relation to each other, uh, at least Back to the Future was already like that. And so it was a little weird to, and I couldn't even make it through. I just shut it off. Um, after that, I watched The Matrix which is a film that I really like. I mean, it was like, I was like freaking 12 or something when it came out and loved it. Um, but watching it now, I just feel like it hasn't aged well. It's a corny movie. It's really like cliche movie. And I only give it about three stars. It still has a nostalgia factor, obviously. But the, the first half of the movie is great. And the second half... Pretty much once he goes, well, it's not even half, it's like the first quarter of the movie. Before he actually goes and meets all those annoying fucks on the ship, like, the movie's just awesome. And then you get there and it's like fucking stupid for the end of it. It's it, The dialogue is some of the worst I've ever, ever heard. I didn't remember it actually being that bad. Um, so, sorry The Matrix, I just don't think you're that good anymore. I also watched a couple of anime OVAs, including Goku Midnight Eye, which I, I can't even really comment on because I didn't like it that much, and so I kind of tuned out. But I also watched Robot Carnival, which was a one of those multi-director, uh, I think it was nine shorts. Um, one of them uh, sort of framed, actually, by... A work of Koshiro, Koshiro Otomos, the uh, director and creator of Akira. And it's gorgeous. Uh, it's definitely a little bit like, it's not like the sort of thing I feel like I can just put on at any time. I have to be in the right mindset for it because a lot of it is very quiet and very visually driven. So in this day and age where like, I'm so distracted by everything around me, it's hard to stay focused on it. But it is a gorgeous anime that, you, that watching it, you're going to think it came out a couple of years ago, not in, I think, that mid or early 90s when it actually came out. For that, I watched Cold Skin, which was uh, I found on Shudder. And uh, it's interesting because I put it on because I just wanted to watch The Thing for the 5,000th time, but I really was like, I should watch something else that's not The Thing. And something about the cover art just was like reminding me, it was reminiscent of the artwork or artwork I'd seen for the thing. And I was like, all right, let me give this thing a shot. This looks like it has like an 80s flair to it. Uh, it didn't really. And it was sort of more like a man's version of the shape of water and it was kind of weird and so like if you've never seen it and you want to i would skip the next few seconds um it's basically about a dude who is sent uh right on the eve of world war one to uh this island as a weather um 
guy who's going to, like, I don't know, measure the weather or some bullshit. Anyway, there's also a lighthouse keeper there, and the lighthouse keeper is kind of weird, and the very first night he gets attacked by these weird creatures, the weather guy, I mean, <clears throat> and um, realizes as story goes on, uh, the lighthouse keeper explains to him that there's these monsters um, that attack every night, and he's been fighting them off for years, and also there he has one that's a pet uh one of these creatures that's a pet and the lighthouse keeper has sex with it danger zone yeah play from the smoke to the south though yeah whatever it's weird and uh but the movie's actually really fucking cool I really enjoyed it. I'm only gonna give it about three stars. Like it's not the greatest thing I've ever seen, but it it was interesting and I highly suggest it. There's a sort of twist, sort of reveal type thing at the end, but it's really kind of obvious. I guessed it pretty early. Um, but yeah, if you haven't seen it and you have Shudder, it's on there, so go check it out. After that, I watched Resident Evil, which was also on Shudder and is like, I don't know. I love it. I actually kind of think I'm going to put it on right after I finish recording this because, like I said, I really fucking love it. It's a dumb piece of shit movie. It's so dumb. It's so bad. Jill? Is that you, Jill? What happened? Harry? Help me, please. The door won't open. Quick! Stay away from the door, Jill. I'm going to kick this door down. Hurry! This way! is so not Resident Evil. That was too close. You were almost a But it's fucking hilariously, 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 uh, hilarious. I guess is the way I would say it. It's, it's one of those movies that uh, you can't tell if you listen to any... Thing I've done on this podcast you can probably tell I love dumb shit and this movie is like the epitome of dumb shit it might be the dumbest shit of a dumb shit movie in all of the dumb shit movies from all of dumb shit time or something like that you know it's really really that stupid and I love it I fucking love it and I love Resident Evil too um I mean as well not I also love Resident Evil too as well. Man, what a mess. Listen to me. I want to know who you people are, and I want to know what's going on here. What could have done this? Now. What was that? <laughs> what are these things? But it's just does it doesn't need for me to be good or bad because like I always kind of looked at it like look if I'm I'm not going to go out and see a Resident Evil movie alright like when they put it out because I've already played the game I've already lived through the story I don't need to I understand other people might want to do it who might not want to play the game they can go watch it so I understand people being mad in that respect but like in this day and age you can literally just sit on your fucking computer and watch somebody play through a game like that and experience the whole thing um if you so desire or you can even there's plenty of games like that where it's just every cutscene with explanations of the gameplay so you can kind of play through the story of the game without actually having to own or play the game so i don't really think it's necessary 
for a movie that's based on a game property or something else like that, a comic, to actually have to be exactly the same. It's kind of what I felt about Silent Hill. I just wish that they had gone more like how Resident Evil did, where it's literally just like, I don't know. They're like, we, we didn't even play the game. We just were like, oh, Resident Evil, sure. And then every once in a while, we'll throw in a weird camera angle that looks like the camera in the game. But so I'll give it two stars so you people know that like it is a bad movie, but uh, it's also a great movie in a couple weird ways. I don't know. I just highly recommend going to see it, but go into it with that mindset. Like this is a stupid as fuck movie. And so that brings me to this is number 63. Well, technically, because I'm not going to talk about uh, the movies that we will be covering in our next episode, coming soon with my good friend Dylan Rickey, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Power Rangers the movie, and Son of Godzilla in our kaiju slash Ultraman slash, I don't know. I Basically, it's Tokusatsu episode. Uh, we will be covering those three films. I also watched, so I guess it's actually 64, I also watched Shin Gojira, uh in that cycle because i finally got a chance to buy it another one of my favorite films and uh so that means actually like i said watch 64 films holy crap 64 films i have watched this year and the last one is death machines so death machines oh my god this movie first of all it's it falls into a style of movies that I really like. Late 80s, or at least 1980s of some sort, into the early 90s um, action movies with ridiculous plots, bazookas, and tons and tons and tons of karate. Uh, I actually specifically call it Everybody Knows Karate. Uh, so in this movie, we have a character, Madame Lou, and she has assembled a group of killers called the Death Machines. They're a trio of martial arts experts who have been injected with a special serum, which turns them into mindless zombies. That is something that I only know because it is on the back of the DVD, uh, sorry, the Blu-ray case, okay? That is not something that I realized happened in the movie the first time I watched it. I did kind of notice it but i did not know it turned into mindless zombies all i knew is they got injected with something and they're capable of only murder at madame lou's command tasked with eliminating her enemies the death machines go on a blood-soaked rampage killing anyone in their path after they massacre an entire dojo in an amazingly violent bloody and actually really well done scene um so one thing that I noticed when I was watching this movie is that the action in it is fan-fucking-tastic uh, and has really good fight choreography in general, like better than some way better movies that I've seen. Um, anyway, uh, they leave one survivor from said dojo. The Death Machines and Madame Lou herself become the targets for his vengeance. So this is like part kung fu film, part revenge thriller, part sci-fi horror movie. It was directed by Paul Karazi, and it was his debut feature. It's a 
described as a head-spinning, non-stop thrill ride of gratuitous violence and bizarre plot twists. And let me tell you, there are a bunch of bizarre-as-fuck plot twists in it. Guaranteed to satisfy the cinematic cravings of even the most discriminating fans of Dara movies. Vinegar Syndrome is where I got this. Um, they are an online uh, curator uh, or something along those lines of films like this. They have reels and they make Blu-rays out of them. I'm holding it up like this on video, even though I know you guys can't see it, but just imagine I'm holding up the DVD case and playing with it right now. Um, and the tagline, uh, I'm gonna tell you, so the, the, the cover of this is like a big, huge, uh, I guess it's like some sort of obelisk. And it's got three faces on it of the three death machines. And the words death machines are in the middle of it with teeth. It's like, it's like a big meat masher and there's a bunch of bodies in it. And at the bottom on it it's inscribed the killers of the future are ready now i highly suggest this i also highly suggest if you are into weird older films uh or softcore porn and i mean that in all seriousness um that's what i call it they're you know the taboo films like taboo and stuff vinegar syndrome is a great website they have lots of really good films on there and lots of really rare and weird movies. Um, I'm more into this sort of stuff, which they have less of, but they do have some of it. Uh, there's some like like old school pornography. There's um, horror movies, action, black exploitation, art house, uh, horrors, I already said that, classic erotica, you know. It's just a bunch of cool stuff, and um, if you're into that stuff, man, check this fucking shit out. Anyway, Vinegar Syndrome, they don't give me any money, so I'm not going to talk too much more about them. So yeah, that is the 64 goddamn movies that I watched this first two months, because I watch a lot of movies. Um... And so, yeah, I'm going to now talk a little bit about some interesting stuff that uh, has been going on in world news and in world film that I think has kind of been ignored. I read about it the other day and uh, got me thinking about doing a little short episode on propaganda in film. So then I thought there's a lot to talk about there. So I had to turn it into like a little bit of a series and I'm going to start now with a little introduction to that to end this little bonus episode. Uh, so after this little break, we'll get right into that. You know, Macho Man, in recent weeks you have been living in a whirlwind of... of Threats and conflicts. I like that, Luigi. You must be psychic. It seems like a macho man's here. I've been in the cycle. I've been in the danger zone. Yeah. Elizabeth, we're entering the danger 
canceled right now. Together we're walking down that aisle. It's cool, yeah. The time is now, means in Oakland. Macho madness into the danger zone. Yeah. So this week, I also watched, for the 65th film, The Ghazi Attack. And it was a 2017 Tanglu film directed by Sanclap Reddy and starring Rana Dagubadi, Tepsi Panu, and K.K. Menon. And it got me thinking about the current state of crisis between India and Pakistan and the threat of war. And how that political crisis is reflected in film and entertainment. What's weird is that right after that, I saw an article that in Pakistan they'd actually banned or boycotted, is I guess a better way to put it, uh, they have a boycott on Indian films and television and even advertisements. So here's a little bit of a backstory for you. India, Pakistan, and China have all sort of been engaged in this long and violent and rhetoric laden political and military struggle over the northern state known as Jammu and Kashmir, probably better known as Kashmir. It's a former princely state of the British Raj that was annexed from the Sikh Empire during the first Anglo-Sikh War, which ended in 1846. The British then sold the territory to the soon-to-be Maharaja of Gamu, Galub Singh, for 7 million rupees. When the British withdrew from India in 1947, the current Maharaja chose to remain independent and neutral rather than join the cultural split that was forming between India and Pakistan before a Western uprising allegedly supported by Pakistan caused the Maharaja to join the Dominion of of India in exchange for military aid. Chose Chose to join the Dominion of India in exchange for military aid. This split Kashmir into two distinct areas. India controlled Jammu and Kashmir to the southeastern border with, it, with the southeastern border with India, and Baltistan and Azad Kashmir to the west were administered by Pakistan. You can also add to this the territorial disputes between India and China along the Himalayan mountain range and China's control of the Saki Chin region to the east of Kashmir, as the region became a powder keg for war between the three nations. So yeah, it's pretty interesting and complicated and has a lot more going on there than I think uh, can just be explained away by me. So I'm just trying to give you a small idea, I guess, how I have, I see it with my limited knowledge. Uh, To give you an example of how volatile the situation is now at this current moment, uh, a quick Google search turns up articles from just hours ago about terrorists killed in Kashmir, Pakistan possibly ar- violating arms agreements, Pakistan arresting pro-Indian terrorists in Kashmir, shrinking freedoms in the region, etc., etc. This is likely the same on just about any other news day, too. Not just in the region, but around the world. And even more so now as the two nations stand on the brink of yet another conflict and a possible war. From an article by Chitraleka Zushi in the publication The Conversation. The latest Kashmir standoff was triggered by a February 14th suicide bombing 
by a militant group with links to Al-Qaeda and founded by the Pakistan-based cleric Masood Azhar. More than 40 Indian soldiers died. India blamed Pakistan for providing moral and material support to the terrorist organization, which is banned in Pakistan but operates openly there. On February 26, India launched airstrikes against Jarish-e-Muhammad's training camps and Pakistani side on the Pakistani side of Kashmir. Pakistan retaliated, claiming to have shot down two Indian fighter jets on February 28th. Indian sources said that one Pakistani jet and one Indian jet had been downed and an Indian pilot taken hostage by Pakistan. Pakistan has since released the pilot, soothing tempers for now at least. So why am I talking about it? Well, for starters... As I mentioned earlier last week, Pakistan became a boycott of Indian films in their country. It doesn't mean that they're illegal to own or watch in Pakistan, but it does mean that no Bollywood films will be released in Pakistan and that private and obviously state media channels are barred from showing Indian television programs. There's even talk of looking into and banning Indian-made advertising in Pakistan. And all this is in direct retaliation to Indian airstrikes in Kashmir and the shooting down of the two jets. So there, it's a sort of cultural embargo, and it's not the first time that it's happened. Uh, in fact, it just happened recently in the past few years, and I think it was in 2017, Pakistan unboycotted or banned Indian films because of how lucrative the money market on them was. And you'll find it's for a good reason in a way if you start looking deeper into some of these popular Indian films. Not that I agree with Pakistan uh, or their government, for any particular reason or disagree i'm just saying that when you look at these films you can kind of make uh it kind of makes sense why they would not want them to be shown to their people um some of these films include razi which is a spy drama that was set during 1971 india pakistan war uri the surgical strike which is about indian armies bombings of pakistan backed terrorist camps and last but certainly not least the incredibly popular ghazi attack which i watched this week based on the inciting incident of the very same 1971 war this is no mistake In fact, the popularity of these films, and indeed the very reason for their existence, is all part of the same cultural shifts between nations that brought us propaganda films such as Birth of a Nation, The Triumph of the Will, and Rocky It's the same reason that a wrestler becomes a champion simply because the crowd cheers for them. The art taking place is inevitably linked to the spirit of the mob. Both go hand in hand. Uh, But like... A lot of times it's also uh, motivated or an attempted motivation by the state. You know, the Nazis put out the film I Accuse so that they could try to make people be okay with euthanasia programs. Um, And that's normally what uh, these sort of films are made to do. Uh, So over the past few years of tensions have risen between India and Pakistan, Bollywood has responded. 
playing on people's fears of a rekindling of war and terrorism, as well as their proud nationalistic and religious beliefs and desires. And this fuels an ethnocentric tradition we see infused between nations all over the world, like Ireland and England and Israel and, uh, and oh my God, and Israel and Palestine. It's propaganda and it's still alive and well in films today. So I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that Gazi Attack, a film which romanticizes heroic battles and soldier life with a degree of militaristic fetishism that would make Hideki Anno blush, and Birth of a Nation, a racist film with blackface white actors where the KKK are the heroes are the same thing, but I will tell you that their themes come from the same place and have the same agenda. Gazi Attack follows a very uh, familiar war film plotline, which kind of goes like this. An S-21 Indian submarine is dispatched to conduct surveillance on a new and more advanced Pakistani submarine called Ghazi. When the belligerent uh, Pakistani-hating Indian captain orders an attack on the Ghazi, the attack misses and all hell breaks loose. The Ghazi heads back to safe port with the S-21 in pursuit, but then the S-21 drives straight into one of its mines and becomes disabled. Uh, before there's a last heroic battle and eventually sinking of the Giza, which is in part goaded by the Indian crew raiding the Pakistani crew and singing the Indian national anthem. In the end, our main hero character survives to tell his tale, which is quickly made top secret, I guess, until now since this film came out. That plot is so familiar to me that I think it is actually the plot of Rocky IV. It's like the same thing. He has to like fight his way back or, you know, whatever. But it's like war instead of boxing. And the outside Pakistani villain sort of looms like Drago over the heroic crew and is represented as a cowardly evil and backwards while the Indian crew is represented as fun, resourceful, and exceedingly brave. So another film that I did not watch recently, but I did just mention, Birth of a Nation, used a film to suggest and like I mentioned earlier, it was the same thing the Nazis did. And what they were trying to do was by using the suggestion of what their policies were and showing the positive outcomes of such things, they were, were telling people, you know, what they should believe or at the very least um, validating those beliefs. So like in the case of a movie like Birth of a Nation, which, uh, like I said, is a horrible racist film. The, the message of that film is basically, in the end, all these whites are getting together and they're getting married. You have these two, you know, southern families, um, or a southern and northern family, I'm sorry. And at the end, you have two sets of sons and daughters getting married to each other. And it's basically like saying, if we, and if we stop all the black people from voting and the white people get together and we rule again, everything will be great. Which is not good nor is it right it's horrible um but it it's like propaganda films always seem to have that same message where they have a bad message that they have to stick to like i mentioned earlier this nazi film it's the only nazi f propaganda film other than triumph of the world i've ever seen it's called i accuse and it's basically about a doctor whose wife it, um has a uh has multiple score sclerosis I think it is um or dystrophy or something like that and she wants to die and so he euthanizes her and then they uh try to like put him on trial and he says I accuse hence the title that 
you know, you guys are cruel for letting her live when she wants to die. And obviously the, the message of the movie is pro-euthanasia, but specifically pro the Nazi euthanasia programs, which were horrible and were carried out to euthanize parts of the population that they did not like and that or that they um, wanted to get rid of for their ideology. Uh, so what's crazy about both those movies is it's like their Herculean task is like trying to make somebody think that something like this is good. And the reason why uh, Ghazi, Giza, whatever it is, why uh, Giza attack is similar to this is because if even though it falls into that war movie character category, it really is being presented to the Indian people at a very specific time. And it's sort of reminiscent of this movie Battleship uh, Yamato, which weirdly enough is another nationalistic movie that comes around the same time that a super nationalistic and Nippon Kaji uh, related prime minister is in power in Shinzo Abe in Japan and you have this really right-wing nationalistic film where there's literally a speech in the movie where a character is talking about when the actual original battleship Yamato in World War II was supposed to sail down to Okinawa on a suicide mission to beach itself and keep firing in, at the American forces um, but it was actually sunk way before that that's sort of the same feel that you get from this movie it feels like it's it's trying to it, it it does it to someone who's not even indian let me tell you this much the movie whips you up into a frenzy and these guys are so heroic and powerful and it really makes you feel like they are the good guys and i can only imagine how that feels when it's you know i don't mean to to say, you know talk about race this way but your team quote unquote your race it's very very powerful on people and so i think it's very interesting that in the context of all the stuff that's been going on in that part of the world that you're seeing these indian movies that are getting people ready for war and uh you know sort of normalizing the struggle and being like oh say hey, let's call back to remember this time in 1971 when we had this great war with pakistan and we were awesome sort of feel to it and that's really, really interesting. It's really dangerous. It's also something you see in a lot of films. Uh, after 9-11 in the United States, you started to see a lot of disaster and monster and kaiju films. Pacific Rim is a great example. And it's similar to why, you know, the original kaiju film Godzilla exists in the first place. It's a response to, you know, Nagasaki and Hiroshima and the bombings. And... So that sort of brings me around to Shin Godzilla, which is another movie that kind of falls into this weird propaganda thing. Um, a guy I mentioned earlier, Ano, the, uh, one of the directors of Shin Godzilla and the creator and director of Neon Genesis Evangelion. very interesting uh, character, person in this, to look at this um, his film Shin Godzilla is one of my favorites uh, 
and Neon Genesis Evangelion is one of my favorites. Just when I say favorite, just favorite things in general, but favorite animes, favorite movies, whatever. Uh, I like them because of their irreverent style, their meticulous style. I love the way that he is super obsessed with machinery and like the way that in both Evangelion and uh, Shin Godzilla, you see so much like labeling of equipment and stuff. He's like a helicopter flies up and it tells you what the name of the helicopter is. And I don't know what the caliber of shells it shoots or whatever the fuck it is. All this information, it's meticulously done. It's all done for very explicit purposes. But Shin Godzilla is another movie that's like a weird nationalistic film. A lot of critics didn't like that about it, especially American critics and big fans of the Godzilla franchise. But And so that was what I initially heard um, before I'd even seen the film. And I can see where they're coming from. But to me, it doesn't really qualify as a propaganda film so much. Not even really as much as... 1954's Godzilla does that film to me qualifies way more as a post-war reconstructionist sort of uh, film that is trying to erase sort of some of the memories of what happened with actual Japan Um, which is interesting because there's also another way of looking at that I know for a fact that the director of the, the, the film was a person who had fought in the war and had was totally against what had happened with Japan. So it's also sort of like Godzilla sits right at the middle of being partially the United States, but also partially the Japanese bureaucracy and uh, imperial fortitude that led them to disaster. I loved Shin Godzilla is, if I haven't said that 15 fucking times already, it's a beautiful movie. Uh, I think it's probably my favorite rendition of how the monster looks post rubber suit. Um, I liked how it also harkened back to the original old school rubber suit Godzilla. Um, While to me, it'll never live up to the 1954 film just because that film is such an important classic movie in the history of films. It's sort of like, you know, comparing Shakespeare to, you know, musical nowadays, they're, they're two totally different things. Shin Godzilla is the first Godzilla movie in like 20, 30 years to actually recapture what was so great about those movies. So if you haven't seen it, you need to go out and see it, especially if you're a fan of Neon Genesis Evangelion, because it basically feels like a live action version of that but with Godzilla instead of angels and it's it's a lot to do with the camera work and the meticulous setting up of shots and uh you know the the particular sets and locations used and it will if you've never seen it and you're within five minutes if you're an Evangelion fan you'll know exactly what I'm talking about so yeah, that was just some general stuff I wanted to throw out there for this week. Some stuff I had written up and wanted to talk to you guys about um, as a sort of bridge between our last episode and the next one. Uh, I kind of took a break this past weekend because I just needed some time to myself. This is a really hard thing to do and to get up and do every week and you don't get paid for it and it's hard to tell if people really care. Um, but I care. So that's all that matters. And I know there are some listeners out there. So to you guys, I say, Hey, I say, thank you. And I say, keep on 
keeping on or whatever it is and get ready soon for another episode of my movies better thank you and good night I'm not a